Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined by Jonathan Fadugba. So here we go again. Another week, uh, another week full of action, Jonathan, and uh, plenty to discuss here. We're going to start with Norway. We've got an exclusive interview at the end of the show with uh, Kevin Dix from FC Copenhagen. Henry at Football in DK has uh, come up big again. And also you can check that out on the YouTube channel. It's got its own separate section if you just want Kevin Dix. And now, of course, we're going to be talking about our Svenskan. We're going to be talking about the European qualifiers, which are right really close now for Champions League and Europa League. So, Jonathan, how are you? Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm good. Just ready for this show and looking forward to chatting with you. It's always an absolute pleasure, my friend. And uh, as we, we're actually recording right now on air, and unfortunately, Jurgen are not going so well in the Conference League. 2 0 down against Applewell. So, whilst we're recording, we're kind of keeping our eye on that score and hoping that they make it through the group stage. But a difficult first half for Diff there. Um, we're going to start with Norway, though. And uh, obviously, a big match on Wednesday. Buda Glimt in Dinamo Zagreb. I don't know if you caught any of the first leg at all, Jonathan, but uh, they do take a 1-0 lead with them to Croatia, which could be crucial, but it's a difficult place to go. Yeah, no, I wasn't really involved in the Norwegian games this week. I missed the Glimt game. I, I was out. But uh, you're here to talk all about it, which is mm. fortunate as the Norwegian expert. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, let's get straight into that because it's been a strange week for Glimt, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, obviously the high of the, the, the Zaga game. I saw you live commentating on that match on Twitter. Um, and then, of course, the Hamcam match. How would you sum up um, Glimpse week? Okay, I think is a good way to describe their week. Um, the Zagreb game is the most important for sure. And uh, they won that 1-0. They followed it up with a 2 all draw against Hamcam at the weekend, which is which is interesting because there were several people, I said in a, in my video preview on that game on Twitter, that Bodeglin would not be at their best because they're focusing quite rightly for me on the Champions League. doesn't matter what 11 you, you, you spring out on the field. When you're involved in that sort of game of magnitude, eventually you know you will be potentially distracted and don't play at your best. And they still should have beaten Amcam, but it didn't surprise me they drew. But going back to this, 1-0 win against Dinamo Zagreb. The expectation for most people out there, pundits, betting experts, everyone, even myself, I thought it'd be a high-scoring contest, a lot of goals. I've seen Zagreb play a few times as well, and they're usually quite open. Obviously, Buda Glimp themselves in home matches very much go for it and uh, have a fantastic record at Aspen Stadion. But it was the opposite. This was a really tight game, not many chances. The expected goals were quite low. I think it was 1.2 against 0.7. So 1-0 was probably quite a fair outcome. I think both sides suddenly realised where they were. One, you know, one uh, progression away from the Champions League group stage. And, uh, you know, it's worth a lot of money. But forget the money, you know, the prestige for the players to be involved. You know, I'm guessing there's guys on both sides who might never get another chance to play in the Champions League group stage. And I think, you know, those, uh, those realisations hit. Amal Pellegrino scored the only goal of the game. 35th minute, I think it was. Great crossing from Joel Mbuka and a fantastic header. I was thinking Glimp might kick on and they did start second half well. But I think from the from the 60th minute onwards, it was a game they were happy just to win 1-0. Actually, Zagreb finished the better of the two sides and maybe could have equalised. But they'll take the 1-0 win. I think Zagreb will as well. And we move on to uh, Max Jamir Stadium on Wednesday evening. 
Huge game. They've already arrived, I think, on their Twitter account. They've posted some pictures of them training at the stadium, as you just mentioned there. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I know you said that they, you think they'd get through and it could go all the way on last mm. week's episode. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. I've, I've, I've always had this sense it could go to extra time and penalties. So I do think Zagreb will win the match by one goal. And uh, we, we go, you know, past the... Uh, past the 90 minutes on, on Wednesday evening, and then who knows which way it could go. But I still have a gut feeling that Glimp might find a way through the group stages, but they, they're not played well away from home in Europe this, this season. They even lost in the Faroe Islands. They lost against Linfield, only drew against Algiris. This is by far a harder game, so they're going to have to play better, and it is a bit concerning. Um, you know, they've only got that 1-0 advantage. So it's going to be a dig-in sort of night. They're going to have to take the chances when they can. I think last year's Budiglimp would have come here and won, but they're not maybe as strong as they were last year, so it's going to be difficult. And you know, they, it was interesting to me in the second half um, in Norway that uh, Zagreb brought on um, a striker called Petkovic, uh, Bruno Petkovic, a big target man forward, twenty-seven-year-old, um, and he caused them a lot of trouble. And I think Glimt against sort of a really strong physical side that way might have some problems. So I think they might use him from the off, Petkovic. Scored a goal the weekend for Zagreb in the league. And that's going to be adding a different dimension to it. And they've just got to dig in. I, I hope I'm wrong here. I hope they go there, get a draw or win second leg and they're through. But um, my gut feeling is extra time, probably penalties, and then toss a coin. Yeah, we've had quite a lot of questions actually about Glimp this week, which I think in a way probably some of them are for next week because there's a lot of questions like, for example, how will they get on in the group stage if they qualify, you know, things like that. So I don't really think it's probably fair to look too far ahead of ourselves when mm. they've got such a tough game. But there is one question I think maybe worth addressing, uh, maybe just a brief answer, Steve, uh, from at David pa- from David Parks at DP Nina 10. Uh, he says, what are your thoughts on the rise of the Norwegian clubs? on the continental stage and how many Norwegian and Swedish teams will make the group stage now? Just want to get your opinion on, I know obviously we've, we've talked about Glimp now, um, you know, there's a, there's a few other teams in, in Europe as well. Just do you have a kind of gut feeling just a very, you know, in a, in a sentence, maybe answer his question there on that one as well. I think he makes a very good point that in the last few years, there's been uh, teams in Norway and uh, certainly that have done, done well. And I think there has been a rise. The, the league has improved. I'm thinking even like Sarpsborg three or four years ago, no one expected them to make the group stages. So it's on the rise. We might get Viking in the groups. We still might get Mulder in the groups. Buda Glimt are going to be at worst in the Europa League uh, conference, uh, Europa League group, sorry, not even conference. Um, so I think um, my thoughts on it are obviously very encouraging, very positive. I think the Elitis area is trending in the right direction. And I think the league are doing things to help teams as well. Like, for example, having... Um, postponing matches so teams can have a full week to prepare. If, if V can go through, I think that will be a big factor. And um, so of credit to the Norwegian FA for that. And I think certain little things can can help and, and uh, along those lines. Of course, it's also helped that uh, I think sort of the last two or three years, the best teams from Norway are actually qualifying. The cup winner has often already qualified, which means it goes down to fourth place in the league. So you're always going to get a stronger team uh, make it through yeah there's more european football available this season now as well isn't it so in a mm. way it kind of helps um you got viking got Mulder as well uh, and of course glimt let's go back to glimt uh, and thanks for your question david um they followed up this saturday with a bit of a surprise 2-2 draw with hamcam 
uh, our good friend Tom Dent on the pod, uh, assistant manager at Hamcam. Goals from Kurakai and Kirkevold, and two for Amal Pellegrino. Two assists for Vettelsen, if you're following fancy. Or, uh, sorry. Um, what did you make of this game? And was it, I mean, given the title race, this is a is it a bit of a blow? And how, how big a blow might this be? A big blow because Mulder are not showing signs of dropping points. Rosenborg are in great form and Lillestrom are not going away either. Um, I was a bit surprised they dropped points, but I wasn't surprised that Hamcam hung close because there's a crazy stat with Hamcam. They've only lost one match all season by more than a one-goal margin. That was against Buda Glimt in the reverse fixture, in which they were quite unlucky, actually. I think um, for Hamcam to get one point out of the two games with Buda Glimt this season is fair. Although they, you know, if we look at the XG for this game, obviously Glint deserved the win. Hamcam have been fortunate. They've been fortunate both of the last two weeks to score late goals against Volarenga and, and Buda Glint, but they won't care. It's about hanging in game sometimes when you're the underdog. Keep the scoreline just one goal margin. You've got every chance. And I want to give a mention to the Hamcam goalkeeper, Nicholas Hagen. The, um, he's an international for one of the Central American teams. I forgot which one. Is it Guatemala, I think? He made a massive save uh, in the previous match against Volarenga, against Sahari, which kept them in the game. And he made a massive save in this game, which would have made it Budiglim 3, Hamcam 1. If he doesn't do that, they lose both games and they get no points out of the match. So, absolute clutch keeper in those situations. And, you know, for Hamcam, they're fighting for their lives. They haven't won a game in a while. They, they, they draw a lot of fixtures. They've drawn far too many games, but sometimes draws are good. And the last two for them are strong. For Buda Glimt, I don't think we can criticise them too much, though. Like I said before, their minds will have been on this Zagreb match inadvertently, even if they wouldn't admit that. You know, I don't think they ever were going to be at their absolute best in that fixture. So it's drop points. It's still a long way to go, though, 11 games. But Mulder are an absolute machine right now. Yeah, and Mulder are top of the table this moment. They're now five points clear, in fact, um, and seven points ahead of Glimp, who are now in third place. So with 11 games to go, it's looking, you know, is that Glimp out of it? They play each other in about two or three weeks' time, uh, Buda Glimp against Mulder. So it goes without saying that Glimp have got to win that game to get back into the title race, I think. And they, they But they also need some other teams to be taking points off Mulder. Uh, it might help them that sort of Rosenborg and, and Lillestrom are still in the hunt as well. So if Mulder do start to lose games or drop points and they might get twitchy, same last year, Mulder should have gone on the win the league really. And they didn't. Um, I'm not ruling glimped out, but it's, it's difficult now. Seven points adrift with 11 games to play. So um, yeah, it's hard. If I, I mean, logically Mulder should go and win the title from this position. Yeah, and just wishing Glimp good luck. Um, this probably, as you mentioned, I think on last week's show, this is probably the big. This will be probably the biggest game in their history to date yeah. uh, against Dinamo Zagreb. So, wish them mm. all the best, and let's see if we can hear that Champions League music at Glimp this season. Who knows? That'll be incredible, really, uh, in terms of how far they've come. Um, we'll move on to Molde now. They've mm. got a game, obviously, in Europe as well, uh, and they didn't have a greatest result in the first leg, did they? But they've sort of they're stranglehold on the title, like you've just mentioned. There is looking a little bit stronger. So let's just sum up Mulder's week. What's been going on? Mulder lost against Wolfsburg a 1-0 in the Conference League first leg at home. No idea how. They had over 30 shots in this game, 18 on target. Ridiculous. And um, it was a fluky win for the Austrian side. And apparently, I had the, um, the Austrian Bundesliga podcast uh, reply to me. I, I tweeted something about this game. And they said it kind of, it's typical of what Wolfsburger do 
in away European games. They've got a Midas, Midas touch in away games, apparently. Well, let's hope they haven't got that touch at home because Mulder need to go to Austria and win to stay in the competition. Uh, this might be similar to the Zagreb tie, I think. I could see them winning by one goal in Austria. Extra time, maybe penalties. I've got a back Mulder. I think they're, um, they're the better side for sure. They've got the quality. They've got the class. It would, I think it would be a blow if they didn't make the, the group stage of the Conference League because they're playing great football domestically. Um, this is They've had a favourable tie, let's be honest. Wolfsburg are a team they should be beating. Then Wolfsburg are not one of the better sides in Austria. And um, I, I think they would be very disappointed. I would be for them as well. But it just shows you think weird, anything can happen in a one-off match. But over two legs, let's see if they've got enough. Uh, but they followed it with a good 1-0 win at Hargerson in the league. A sort of a 1-0 win, a sign of champions, really. They weren't at their best, but got the job done. And, uh, you know, they keep rolling on in that respect. So it was an important three points. Do you think they can turn this around against Wolfsburger? Uh, yes. Not to be confused with Wolfsburg, of course, from uh, Germany. But, I mean, how do you feel about their chances? Because they're obviously in good form in the league. Um, yeah. Mm. I think they can turn it around. They were clearly the better side in the first leg. They just didn't take their chances. And the goalkeeper from Wolfsburg had a good game. Um, let's be honest. It's Austria's not the hardest place to go to, is it? Really, it's not known for being a difficult sort of place. I mean, Wolfsburger... Um, like I say, based on what I saw on that first leg, they're not a bad side, but they're not that great either. So if Mulder just actually convert the chances here, I think there's no reason why they can't win on the night. It's just a question of, you know, winning by enough of a margin or obviously getting through after extra time and penalties. So Wolfsburger have a bit of a danger on the break, so Mulder have got to be careful of that. But I think they've got enough about themselves, Mulder, to, to get the job done. It'd be very disappointing for them. They lost out of this stage last year against Trasbon Sport. But that Trasbon sports side was far better than Wolfsburger and actually went out to win the Turkish League. So I, I, I'm, I'm expecting Mulder to turn this around. Prediction? Mulder to win the match. Three goals to one in 90 minutes. And the goals, who, who do you think is the key man for Mulder in, this, in turning it around? You know, who's going to be the attacking force? Um, the key man, I think, is going to be... <laughs> David Datro Fafana. <laughs> Your friend. <laughs> um, look, he has a better record in Europe. I think he seems more switched on in Europe. Maybe because teams aren't aware of him as much. And um, the only thing I will say, I think he, he'd be better if they were underdogs in a match. But he has a good record away from home. He'll definitely get a one-on-one -on -one chance at some point. Can he convert it? Let's see. So uh, yeah, I think he's got to be the key man. There's your prediction, and yeah, the game the game does take place uh, in in Austria. So you know, good luck to uh, good luck to Mulder there at the Klagen for Am Stadion, uh, which should be interesting. Conference League playoff. Let's move on to the next talking point, which is of course Viking. Yeah. They uh, are also playing in Europe. Um, Style Bucharest. How did this first leg go? Because this was a surprise result. Yeah, they fluked it, basically. Um, they got battered. They only had they, something like 25 shots to five. The XG in this game was nearly three for um, the Romanian outfit and less than one for Viking. So it was kind of the opposite to the Molder game. That they had, But they went here and got themselves a 2-1 win. Um, very lucky win. But again, it seems to sum up Viking in Europe this year, doesn't it? They, they got past Sparta Prague um, like that in this sort of way. 
and they keep riding their luck. And now they've got a home leg against um, Star Bucharest, and they just need a draw to progress. Strong home crowds going to be behind them, and they can make the the Conference League group stages, which would be sensational. They were clearly outplayed in that first leg, but I think you've got to expect that away from home in Romania. It's a difficult place to go. They've done the hard work now, Jonathan, and it's just a question of can they um, back that up. I think they're going to come under plenty of pressure in this second leg, but it won't be as hard um, at home, uh, will it? Um, they're still going to have to ride their luck a bit, but uh, I don't know. Something tells me about Viking this this year. They might just get in there. You know, it's a diff- this is a difficult match to predict because Star Bucharest are the better side and on paper as well. But uh, home advantage, two one lead. Mm, this could go either way, you know. Yeah, and it's like you said, a bit of a surprise result for them. Um, you you think that they've got a good chance, and who was the key man in that first leg? And you know, what's what's the outlook for the second leg? I think it was a collective team effort, uh, defended with bodies on the line. Um, the goalkeeper had a good game, and uh, you know, like I said, my my prediction is, cool. I don't, I don't know, I had no idea, mate. Um, how about let's go for a one-all draw? But this could this could end absolutely anything. If Stour Bucharest rocked up and won easily, I wouldn't be shocked either. Um, but equally, if Viking kind of pick them off when they take too many risks, then that, that wouldn't be a surprise. So I'll, I'll go for one-all, but honestly, this one, I haven't got a Scooby-Doo. No Scooby-Doo, says our expert, but for Beak, for, for Viking, it's a, it's a massive game. Um, according to uh, Viking's web, uh, a Twitter account, sorry, that they, they still have one or 200 tickets left. Um, but it is a massive match for them. I think they've really been bigging it up as well. And, and to be fair, Viking, they're quite a big club, aren't they? Um, in Norway, so you know they haven't maybe been in great form in, in recent maybe years, but they are quite a big club, aren't they? And um, the record, I think, uh, attendance in terms of uh, European games, anyway, I believe, is twelve thousand um, six hundred fans, and they've already broken that record, I think, which was a record against uh, in nineteen seventy two when they played Cologne. Um, so it sounds like they, you know they've 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 smashed the record in terms of ticket sales. Uh, and they're kind of generally, um, you know, they're generally sort of on, on an upward curve, aren't they? In terms of, oh, yeah. there's a lot of fan mm. excitement. So, yeah, best of luck to to Viking, and, and let's see how it goes. It would be great if they made it through, I must say, and uh, if we could get Mulder in there as well to get three Norwegian teams representing the country in uh, Conference League or Champions League would really help the coefficient as well, which is really improving uh, in the last couple of years, of course. So best of luck to all three. Yeah, and of course, coefficient, the better the coefficient, that just only helps other other teams really, doesn't it, in terms of maybe more money filters through the league. So yeah. um, to see teams like Viking potentially in Europe is, is, is pretty massive, uh, like you said. So yeah, there should be some game that I think against the sort of historical European giant, really, if you look at their history. Um, but let's move on. Uh, good luck to those teams in Europe. One team not in Europe is Rosenborg. And on the weekend preview show, you did you did have a lot of confidence in this game. Um, they did get the win, but it wasn't maybe quite as you expected it, was it, Steve? Let's just look at this match. Uh, Rosenborg against Arlesund. How did it go? Yeah, pick the bones out of this game. It went completely the opposite to how I thought. It was a. This was one of my worst predicted sort of reads of a match uh, in a long time. In terms of, like, 
Allison basically played an awful lot better than I ever thought they possibly could have. And I think we've got to start. Some will say, oh, Rosenborg weren't, weren't that great. Do you know what? Allison, you've got to give them huge credit here. They had a fantastic game plan. They pressed Rosenborg's defence, the goalkeeper, and they forced mistakes out of them regularly. They, they just constantly harassed them on the ball. They had no time. And Rosenborg were reluctant to pass the ball that long at times, which didn't help them. They, like Andre Hansen's constantly looking for the uh, goalkeeper sort of short throw um, or medium throw at, at most. And um, I think there was a great effort put in by the likes of Oddmarks back and Nordley, Simon Raffin, Sebacic uh, on the wing-back positions for Arlesund. And they deservedly took the lead, Simon Nordley, in the 30th minute. Rosenborg replied thanks to a penalty, which was a soft penalty. I'm not even sure there was contact. I'm not even sure it was inside the penalty area. It was a home field call. The referee all night, to be honest, I felt was um, certainly biased towards Rosenborg, as you might expect at the Lurkendale Stadium. And, um, you know, second half, not a lot changed. I think Arlison probably with a better team. Andre Hansen made a big save, 80th minute to keep it one all. Um, and um, it looked like it was going to be a draw, but then Casper Tengstedt popped up, 92nd minute with a cracking finish into the top right corner, unsavable. And um, they got they got the points. They didn't deserve them, really. I must say, Alisson uh, must feel really hard done by here. But when things are going for you, things are going for you, aren't they, Jonathan? And uh, right now, it's uh, ro- the garden is rosy for Rosenborg. Tell me about Tengstead on the score sheet again. Mm. He's got a he's he's got a natural finish in him. I don't think he's necessarily the quickest lad. I don't think he is necessarily the strongest player. And but he combines. He's quite intelligent. I think he gets in some good positions, and he he just has that seems to have that good natural finishing touch. And he's he's provided so many different finishes for these four goals. Um, you know, this was a real last volley. He's had one-on-ones that have gone in. I think he might have had a header in the first match or certainly back post conversion anyway. So he looks like he's got plenty of strings to his bow and, uh, you know, he played the full 90 minutes for Rosenborg. It's interesting that uh, Noah Jean Holm was back from injury and uh, I wonder if Holm will end up partnering Tengstep because Sater is a great sort of pressing forward, works hard, but you would not expect him to finish as many chances. He's not as good at converting opportunities. So there's a few decisions to be made with this strike duo, but Tengstedt has got to be one of the two strikers because uh, he's got this uh, clinical finishing about him. And that is why you bring someone in like that. And that's the difference between one point and three. Yeah, Nordley on the score sheet for for Arlison and the, the, the result lifts uh, Rosenborg up to, um, f- well, in fourth at the moment. Um, and one point behind Glimp, so they're getting closer and closer to a podium spot. Uh, we've already discussed kind of last week. You think if they, if you think they can make, make the podium, my question to you is: Do you think they could actually maybe finish second or even above? I predicted them to finish second at the start of the yeah, season, did. didn't I? Yeah, look, this is the period they've got to cash in. They're not in Europe. Buda Glimp are definitely going to be in at least one group stage. Molder might be in a group stage. Can they take advantage? You know, um, they they have had some soft fixtures. I'll say that. Uh, some much tougher games are to come. And I, I don't quite think they've got it. You know, put them up against a Buda Glimpse and a Molder now, or even someone like Lillestrom, Volarenga. I'm not still not sure I would trust them. And they, let's be honest, Alisson have outplayed them in that game. With not just, um, I say, a good tactical game plan. It, they definitely exposed some armour. Um, 
in that Rosenborg setup and and style. And I think a few might just look at how Allison played there and think, you know, we've actually got better players than Allison. We employ the same system. We're going to put Rosenborg in trouble and probably punish them. So some definitely some question marks over that. I'm still not convinced by the defence. Um, so I do think the most likely finishing position for them is third. If I had to predict the table right now, I would say Mulder, Budaglimt, Rosenborg, Lillestrom. That would be my top four. And then Roller and Green fifth. Great stuff. And just kind of, yeah, I mean, in terms of tanks, it was a decent decent effort, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, clinical kind of finish. Um, top fired into the roof of the net. And there is a bit of relevant Rosenborg news that we, we promised to discuss on the podcast this week, which is um, a little bit left field in terms of, you know, how we normally discuss things. But I think, you know, a player signed from Horsens and um, a Danish under-21 international. And I think it's quite relevant uh, discussion on Rosenborg is their new partnership, which um, they've just signed a partnership with Soren. Now, this is something that sort of drew our attention um, earlier in the week. And it was announced that... Uh, so rare, which is a, uh, if for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a global fantasy football game, um, kind of like maybe a mixture of fantasy football and sports cards collecting. They announced uh, about five, six days ago that they have signed a partnership with Rosenborg. So just going to read out the tweet more or less. It says, so rare has landed in Norway. This is at so rare. Rosenborg become the first Norwegian club to join the global fantasy football game. All cards for the Elite Serie and Record Champions are now on the market. Get scouting. Uh, now, this was followed by kind of a list of, um, uh, well, a bit of interest on, on our part because we had quite a few new followers on that on that news um, with the news that Rosenborg cards are available. Um, so, yeah, Steve, you're going to, we're going to have a little discussion about it. Um, so let's have a little chat. I, I think as far as I'm concerned, you, you're not too sure what this is and, and I am. So and if you want to sort of lead, lead the way. Well, I, I'd never heard of it. When you said to me, oh, this is massive news, I was like, what? Not a clue. Um, but then you did show me uh, the other night um, some details about So Rare. So basically, I mean, it's, it's going to help me as well, but also a few listeners who don't know much about it. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I think it's something that if you if you don't know So Rare, then I think... Uh, maybe worth following at so rare or just having a little look at it if you do know so rare then i know that we have quite a few followers who actually are on so rare um and you're gonna kind of know all about it essentially it's a global uh, as i just mentioned a f- sort of fantasy game um it's kind of essentially long story short steve will be a, mi- a mixture of sports cards and a fantasy game so you can buy cards on a market which so rare for host um of players so you can buy sports cards of players there's different kind of uh um categories of cards so there's like obviously a rare card there's a limited card there's a super rare card and things like that so imagine kind of just basketball card, baseball cards from the you know the night 80s or whatever but this is kind of a virtual a virtual platform that sells those cards um so the company so rare is a french company and they've had all these partnerships with loads of different leagues so i think over the past two years maybe they've they started i think in japan or south korea with the south korean league and it basically evolved over the last two years massively, and they've signed partnerships with pretty much every single league. Uh, I think you've got uh, maybe not the Premier League, but you know they've got partnerships with Portuguese football. They've got partnerships with, um, I think, Danish football. And you know, if you think uh, like you know, Serie A teams, like there's loads and loads of different leagues essentially. Um, so the Norwegian league is one of their newest leagues. So what it essentially means is that you can now, you can now buy cards on the Serie A platform. 
um, for the Elite Serian. And how the game works is that obviously once you have a selection of cards, you enter them into like a kind of game. Every game week, there's like a league and you choose your five cards and you put them in. And depending on how that player performs, you get a point score. And obviously, if you get a points, uh, depending on how well you do with your points, you get you can win prizes, essentially. Oh, so you can win more cards. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Forsyth. Um, you know, you can win cards or money and that kind of thing. And so I think, yeah, that's hopefully sums it up. I think why, you can why, make good why, money why, out why it's interesting in terms of why we're talking about it is because I think that it will. I did say to you when it happened, like, I think there'll be a lot more. There'll be a lot of interest, I think, potentially from players of the game um, in the pod trying to understand, like, maybe the Norwegian League a bit more. Maybe someone might be listening to this who's already bought some Rosenborg cards, for example, and they want to know who the top players are or who they should be buying, maybe, or what players to look for. So I think we'll see how it goes. If you are listening and you're on Surreal, like tweet us um, and be interesting to see, get your thoughts on it. And maybe you can also explain it a bit as well. But that's just a kind of overview. And I think it means for the league that obviously for the league, it's a good thing for Elisa Serian because essentially it means that Surreal's probably paid them for the partnership. And that's investing money into Norwegian football, I guess. And that partnership means it's like an official deal for official cards. So I think if you buy a card, a percentage probably goes to Rosenborg, if that makes sense. So I think it's one to watch and probably something we will cover maybe in weeks to come, depending on interest and, and the amount of followers. Yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting. I look at this and uh, yeah, it's certainly some money to be made for those in there. And uh, maybe we will have uh, have to have a discussion about so rare. Maybe I'll have to have a good um, in depth look at uh, this system and the reasonable players on there. So uh, yeah, watch this space. I had a look at this and I don't know what it was. It kind of reminded me of the football index thing, which went uh, kaput, didn't it? And um, you know, I you know me, I'm always a bit skeptical about things. Could it be a scam? Is it worth getting involved in here, or is it more legit? Obviously, legit. I think that yeah, with these sort of platforms, it's never you're never quite sure. Is it? It's a new technology. Obviously, it's kind of based on crypto in terms of it's based under a Ethereum model, but you can still sell the cards for for pounds. Um, I'm looking at the platform as we speak, and just to give an example of like some of the cards on there, you've got like for example, Stefano Vecchia's card is available for twenty six pounds. Erlen Reitan. This card's available for £7 at this moment in time. Um, so it's got the entire Rosenborg sport. And obviously, these are different categories. Tengstead's card, currently his most uh, his most rare, his most his least rare card, sorry, is, uh, is £252 for his card. So, and actually, Steve, his rare card is on sale at the moment for £2,421. So you get a bit of an example of like how this works and how kind of, I suppose, there's potentially money to be made. Obviously, the better they perform, the higher their price goes. And then if you have a card, you can sell it. And if you, you know, if you want to sell it or if you or play the game, I'm just looking at Bjorki, £31. So yeah, I guess it's one of those ones like discretion advised. We're not, I'm not necessarily advising anyone to play play on it. And you know, we're not officially saying anything here. We don't have any relations with Sarah. Um, so this isn't like we're not plugging it. The reason I thought it's interesting to mention is because I think that it might, we might have a bit more interest on the pod, if that makes sense, because the league is covered. I've seen the counts. Um, I think the Belgian podcast, for example, I think they get loads of questions about Surreal Belgium, you know, players in Belgium and things like that. So I wonder how it will affect things. I'd love to hear from anyone who's on it and maybe they can give some advice as well. Um, obviously, use your own discretion, Steve. I'm not going to necessarily recommend you to go in there and spend a grand on a, a, a Tengstead card. But um, I think that, yeah, that if you play around with it, there's potentially, you know, you can make a bit of money. I think obviously if the player does well and you sell them, then you can cash out and, and take that money. So jury's out, I guess. 
but yeah, I think in terms of the relevance here, it's an official partnership. It's not like a shady. I think football index was more unofficial, wasn't it? It was just, just kind of dodgy so-called shares. Um, this is an official partnership that Rosenborg have actually themselves commented on, I think. And so I think from that point of view, there's a bit more legitimacy there. But clearly, it's a sports card trading game. You still keep your cards, essentially. So you're not losing anything. I suppose you do have a physical thing. But of course, you, for its relevance is within the game, isn't it? So I suppose it depends how the game evolves. So, yeah, one to watch, I guess. But I think in this one thing I'd say, Steve, we may have a few more questions about Rosenborg in the next few weeks. <laughs> I'm from Yorkshire, Jonathan. I'm not going to be spending two grand on a card. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be more looking for a bit of value and someone who might, uh, you know, improve that value in time. So you, that would be my approach to this sort of thing. But uh, well, just I mean, just to, just on that, just to finalise, uh, mentioned two grand for playing a card. A Kylian Mbappe card at the moment is on is registered for sixteen grand. So, and his most rare card is currently, I think, one hundred thirty-three thousand pounds. What? So it is crazy. How much? One hundred thirty-three thousand pounds. You can buy these people have got more money, more money than sense. <laughs> so this is out. a real thing that's happening, I... and people are buying these cards and selling them. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, I think uh, that gives you a bit of context. Madness, absolute madness. That. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> But yeah, no, if you are on it, I, I think we had a follower, so rare Norway, for example, I'd be interested to get any views and maybe we'll pick it up in future weeks. But for now, Steve, let's move on to Strum's Godset. I mean, they don't have a partnership with so rare, but they have had a huge win. <laughs> they might be getting one if they keep winning six and every week. <laughs> They've had a massive win, haven't they? Tell uh, us about it. Yeah, I didn't, I, I don't know why I added this to the itinerary. I didn't really need to talk about this because, um, but it was such a big win, I thought it had to be talked about. A huge win, six done against Yerv. Fred Friday got a couple of goals in this game. They absolutely battered them. It could have been 10, genuinely. And Yerv, I think this was a match where I think we all knew it anyway, but they're just completely out of their depth at elitist area level. They're not good enough. Um, I, I really don't want to be negative towards Yerv because they did amazingly well just to get here. And, you know, their resources are very minuscule compared to most teams in the league. But 44 goals conceded in 19 games. Their away record is is absolute shambles. They someone managed to get a draw away at Mulder, but they've lost every other game. And um, yeah, it, it just unfortunately it's horrible, isn't it, when a team just obviously isn't cut up for the level of of Serian football. Fair play to Strom's Godset, really good win for them. And um, you know they're quite an inconsistent side Godset, but they are strong at home. And it's a difficult place to visit is Marion Lee Stadion. But this this result just stood out because of. At the end of the game, I was like, why was I not betting on Strom's Godset here? Whenever you see someone win big, you think, why was I not on them? And I looked at it and I was like, look at it in depth, really. We should have probably seen it coming because you have been conceding, or in terms of expected goals conceded recently, it's been an absolute shambles for them. So I guess it's not the biggest shock in the world. They've got battered. Yeah, and in terms of expected goals against, you have the work, by far the worst record in the league, 50.27 XG against. Um, but Godset don't actually have that high in XG. So the XG for the entire season is 28.08. So to score that many goals in one game is is pretty remarkable. Um, you think you're ever gone? I think that, yeah. I mean, I've kind of said it all year, haven't I? But um, they look a shambles. They've done well to win four games of football, all by a 1-0 scoreline. Um, but they just, just they concede way too many chances and goals. They can't stay up. 
uh, that way at all. Um, at all, it's just it's just curtains, isn't it? Yeah, and let's move on to the Obos. Uh, you've put Salzburg misery continues, but I'm gonna gonna run through that because we are uh, time wise we're maybe a little bit behind. Um, so yeah, Salzburg's misery continues. That's that's it. That's the end of it. <laughs> They're 14, uh, six games, six wins all season, 12 defeats, um, five points above Yerv still. Um, but, you know, relegation playoff, maybe they're only one point off Hamcam, though. But we'll see how that goes. But, Steve, I'm, I'm quite interested to discuss with you one of the other talking points on your itinerary, um, which is the Obos League. Now, we have some massive news. And uh, I think bad news for a few people who've been on this podcast over the few, last few years, isn't it? So what, what can you tell us about the yeah. second division of Norway? What's been going on? A few changes. Well, we had two managers sacked recently. Um, Eric Schoner from Starbuck, who was a previous guest on Nordic Football Podcasts, and Vegar Hansen was sensationally sacked at Mjöndalen, another past guest on the show, after 17 years in charge, and he was the second longest current-serving manager in world football, let alone anywhere else in world football. I think the current longest-serving is someone in Northern Ireland. Is it Crusaders? Something like that, anyway. But, yeah, Mjöndalen, they've had a bad run of form in the Obos, and... Uh, Vega Hansen was was sacked. Uh, there was a press conference. There uh, he was there. The uh, president was there, and there was tears. He was emotional. He was very sad. He said that they they couldn't establish themselves as an elitistarian club in the last couple of years, and um, he, he he agreed. He said he thinks it's the right decision to sack him. He said he wants to get back into coaching and managerial uh, duties as soon as possible. So he's not just going to have a long break or something. He wants to get back managing, um, but he'll be gutted. I mean, he lives at the stadium. Uh, his apartment is actually inside the ground. So, you know, this man bleeds the blood of Mjöndalen. So it was, a, I think it was quite a shock, actually, that he was fired. A couple of players came out and, and, and said they were really surprised it had happened. He was part of the furniture here. I think the presumption, presumption was he would at least be given to the end of the season to maybe get them into the playoffs. And maybe then you can look to move on. But uh, 17 years of uh, Vega Hansen is over at Mjöndalen. Yeah, that's big. And I think, I don't know where you got that stat from in terms of the league. Maybe it's professional football. I don't know. But um, I know a manager at Folkestone Invicta in non-league, Neil Cugley, has been in charge for 27 years. So um, I don't know necessarily it might be professional football only. So maybe I'm being a bit of a stato there. But that is a crazy run no matter what. And obviously mm-hmm. in terms of, I guess it's not top division, is it? But yeah, I'm interested to know maybe more about that. If it's, is it pro football? Is it maybe, I don't know how they, how they define it necessarily, but yeah, Hanson, I mean, if you haven't listened, we did have an interview with him uh, about two years ago now, maybe, maybe we'll tweet it back on that Nordic football Twitter, but yeah, you can listen to his views. I remember that interview. It was really good. He he was really passionate, wasn't he? And as you say, lives at the stadium and, you know, Mjöndalen got relegated last season, a bit of a, but they were kind of team. I quite enjoyed actually. I know, um, you weren't massively big on them at certain times in terms of their performances, but they were quite a nice team to have around, I guess. So, yeah, that is a, a shame. Um, there's been another change, hasn't there, as well at Starbeck? Yeah. Um, Eric Schoner was sacked as Starbeck manager. I think he lost at Sturdle's Blink, which was a bad defeat for Starbeck, and uh, brought in Lars Bahinen, who uh, is an expert of getting teams out of that Obos League, and he started with a 5-0 win. What a great start, your first match in, in charge against Start. Of all, of all teams, ironically. So uh, I think with Lars Rahinen, I mean, you, there's only nine games left, but I think you've got to make them favourites to finish second in the Obos now because Brand uh, are miles clear at the top. I think there's something like 19 points clear now at the top of the league. 
they they're only going to need, I think, another three or four points to guarantee promotion. So they've won 18 games, drawn three. That they still could be on for the invincible campaign, and Grower down the bottom could still be on for a campaign where they don't win a game of football. 21 games and they still haven't won one. Um, but yeah, Starbeck now. I actually would. I actually hope a different team comes up automatically. Nothing against Starbeck, but uh, it would kind of annoy me that sort of Brandon Starbeck go down, they come straight back up. Um, I'd, I'd like someone different that can actually maybe make an, an, an um, you know sort of a, a different impact on the league. Maybe someone like Ranheim again could be an excitement, or K from Oslo, or Sanchez maybe could come up. I'd like that, but I think you've got to say Starbeck now with Lars Bahinen, experienced manager, uh, very good in Oboss League. He's only got nine games left to to make his mark on this team. But if they don't come up this year, I, I can I bet you Starbeck will probably win the league next. Yeah, great start for uh, Lars Bohinen against start, uh, as you said there. And uh, we wish Eric Schoener well, as well as Vigard Henson. Both have been on this uh, podcast, uh, Eric Schoener, about a year ago. I remember him talking about full manager and how it got him into management. So, um, considered a very bright manager, isn't it? I, I, I yeah, to bounce definitely. Back to. He will be back, he, absolutely, no doubt about it. It's a tough job, Starbeck, because let's be honest, expectations are high. And, um, you know, then he's not exactly been doing that badly with them. I think they were down in fifth place when he got sacked. And uh, generally, the record's been pretty good this season. Certainly away from home, they've been strong. And you know, it doesn't help in a league when when one of the positions is basically taken up by a side that's far, far too good for robust level. If Bram weren't in the league, then who knows? It might be a bit different for Starbeck. But that's the brutal reality of football management, isn't it? If you're a club that expected to do well, you know, sometimes you've got to kind of fear the sack a little bit, but he's a bright talent. I would not be at all surprised to see him managing in the Elite Serien again at some point. We absolutely wish him the uh, the very best. And also with Egar Hansen, I think there's, he's got a lot to offer football. I'd like to see Hansen at a, a bigger club with more resources, see what exactly he can do, because he seems a really good people person, a great man management, also a canny tactician. But I'd like to see him with a few more weapons in this team to see um, what he can do. And before we wrap up, Obos, uh, Bran, nearly 20 points clear. What is going on here? They've, they've smashed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? They're just basically far too good for this level. But they got off to a good start and they haven't took their foot off the accelerator. Um, I think the, re- the most recent win was a 4-0 success away at Songdal. I'd, I'm just interested to see if they, they can go unbeaten now. This is going to be the best ever team in Obos league in history if they keep this up. Um, for the last nine games. I, to be honest, I think 57 points will be enough to go up anyway. They could probably lose all the remaining matches and still go up. But I suspect they will probably get probably another, what, six or seven wins. They'll be over the, probably close to the 80-point mark, which would be mad. Great team. Um, yeah, they've got players that are far too good robust level in some areas, but fair credit to uh, Eric Hornland. And uh, I'd be interested to see how this brand team gets on next year in, in Elite Serien, because I don't think they're just going to come up to make make up the numbers. Yeah, it looks like they, um, with a, with they're not going to be away for too long. Brand, massive club, and it's even for us, it's still, in a way, it still feels weird that they're in the second division. Um, let's briefly wrap up some transfers here, because the window is still open in Norway. What, how long is the window open for? And what transfers have caught your eye so far? Yeah. 31st of, of August is when the transfer window closes. And I still think there'll be plenty of business, uh, certainly into the league, actually. Uh, but a few recently have caught my eye. Albert Grombach is coming from Arus uh, to Buda Glimt. And he's cost them nearly £3 million. I think it's uh, one of the highest fees that a Norwegian club has paid for a player in quite some time. Uh, someone said it's the highest fee since John Carew. 
something like that. I'm not exactly sure. So that one, I don't know much about this player, actually, Albert Grumbach. But um, he must be decent if they're willing to fork out that amount for him. Um, Turgay Boven's back in the league, former odd uh, marksman. He's at Volarenga now, and they've paid nearly half a million pounds for him. Uh, reliable striker, should go well there once he gets up to speed. Uh, Marcus Pedersen's back in elite Serian football. I think he took a break from the game, but he's back at Hamcam, and he will be a much-needed addition for them in the final third of the field. They're lacking a bit of firepower. So he should go well there, hopefully, for, for their point of view. And Leo Cornick has come to Rosenborg right back from your garden. Didn't quite work out there, but I know he's quite highly regarded and is an interesting signing for Rosenborg, who, of course, uh, recently signed Tengster and Crystal Mali Ingerson from Iceland as well. I think it's been a really good window for Rosenborg. I, like, I quite like Cornick, the bits I saw of him. He didn't really get much of a, a chance, to be honest, in, in Sweden, um, partly because they've got such a good squad. But... All the reports before when he joined were like he's been really, really highly rated. Uh, was he at Starbeck before that? He was. Might not I have. think he was at Star. I think he started his career at Volarenga Youth, and he went and played at Groerud for a year on loan. I think that's it because Eric Scherner yeah. took, uh, was at Groerud, wasn't he? Yeah, and he talked about him on that podcast. In fact, and said he thinks he's top. So um, yeah, uh, so no, that's an interesting one. We'll see how it goes. Um, two reasons there for you to listen to the interview with uh, Eric Schoen and go back through the archives. But that'll be it for part one mm. in Norway. I think we've covered enough. And uh, we've still got the interview to come with Kevin Dix uh, in, in Denmark. And we'll also talk about a few things in Sweden. So I guess join us after this break. Welcome back to the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss. I'm with Jonathan for Dugba. Still to come, the interview with Kevin Dix, OFC Copenhagen defender. So stay tuned for that one. But uh, Jonathan, we've got to talk about uh, Sweden. And we, there's only really one place to start because whilst we've been recording this uh, podcast, Jordgarden have made it through to the Europa Conference League group stage. They were in trouble at halftime against Apoel. 2-0 down. The final score in the second leg is 3-2 and they progress on aggregate five goals to three. So fantastic news for Jordgarten there. They make a group stage of Europe probably the first time in a long, long time. Yeah, big win. I mean, it's literally as we're recording that yeah. this has <laughs> come in. So I've not seen it. I don't really know exactly what's happened. I've seen the result, of course. Um, but it sounds like an Elias Anderson goal has secured them in the group stage and it means that they get at least guaranteed I think 3.31 million Swedish crowns which is about I guess about 3 million euros roughly give or take um, a dream result for Eurogarden and uh, there was an assist as well I think from the Eurogarden goalkeeper to Joel Osoro uh, they, they, say, well, they, they were struggling in the early parts of the game um, but half time they, they were down 2-0 and they were really struggling um, and it looked like maybe Apoel will come back and you know, turn it round. But uh, Gustav Wickheim uh, helped and Elias Anderson as well. Um, and yeah, they, you know, they got one back. Obviously, Hapoel then went 3-1 up, but Asoro made it 3-2 and they hold out. So the prize money is in the bag pretty much, guaranteed there um, for being in a group stage conference league. First time they'll ever played in this competition, of course. 
and the group stage draw takes place Friday. So, uh, yeah, massive for Jürgen, and it just helps the mood, really. I think, in general, <clears throat> they are uh, enjoying life at this moment in time. Uh, I think they're having quite a good season, really, all things considered. And, yeah, as mentioned, they will uh, play in Europe this year. Massive congratulations to your garden. But um, is it fair to say that this European run has come at a slight detriment to their league form because they have dropped points in matches that they might expect it to win against Varnamo and uh, Varberg most recently? Um, obviously, it's worth it because they've made the group stage now, but there has been some drop points recently from Diff in the league. What did you make of the most recent one against Varberg? Yeah, well, they they did, like you said, they dropped points against Weiberg. And I did say on the weekend preview show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast, that I was a little bit um, worried about this game. So, you know, I did, I, I, I did kind of, I'm not saying I saw it coming, but I did think that this could potentially be a trap game for your garden. And it turned out to be that way. Um, Weiberg are often a team it's quite hard to predict. You never really quite know what you're going to get from them. Uh, they got a new signing, uh, another one of the other new signings, and uh, you know they, they they tend to have a lot of turnover of players. Um, Philip Cease, he scored and got sent off, and um, they went two 0 up, Barbuk, and then uh, Diff came back into it, Sabovic and Redetinak with the goals. Um, I think they'll be able to juggle the two competitions because they've got a big squad, but I think they're also not massively experienced in that regard. Um, so I do wonder if it might just take their eye off the ball a little bit. I think a lot will depend on the draw, of course, as well. If they have some huge sort of plum ties, you know, then all the focus and excitement could be on that. They're only three points off the title. They've got a better goal difference than Hacken at this moment in time at the top. So very much all to play for. But yeah, it may it may just be a little bit of a disadvantage for them. But, they, you know, differ on a great run at this moment in time. They've not lost since May. Uh, you know, they went six games in a row winning and then now of course they've just had two draws in the last three games away to Varnamo and away to Varberg so a little stumble and it's no coincidence it's around these European ties but we shall see um where they go but in terms of the club it's a massive massive achievement for them and boss Anderson has come out and said that you know for this football club there's only two ways to really make a lot of revenue and that's either sell your players or get far in in these sort of competitions so uh they I'm sure are very very delighted Absolutely, 100%. And um, it was an intriguing week in the title race. None of the top five lost, but they were drop points for Malmo and Jorgarten, like you said. Hecken uh, have beaten uh, Sirius 1-0, a very, very late goal there. Got them the three points. Hammerby had a comfortable win. And Aikor had a good win away against uh, Norshipping as well. And uh, I mean, this is... Exciting, exciting times um, in in the elite. Uh, sorry, Asvenskan title race, and uh, there was actually a question. I can't remember exactly who this was from, but the question was, which is the most exciting title race? Is it Norway or Sweden? And um, I think, for me personally, right now, just because of how close the point situation is, I, I would have to say Asvenskan. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's certainly still a case, probably for up to five teams. Yeah, that was from Flying Dutchman. Uh, at Jan as I stand, he's regularly asking questions these days, so I really appreciate your contribution. Flying Dutchman, that was it. Thank um, you very much for the question. Yeah, he says, who is the most exciting title? You're going Norway, I'm going... Uh, well, no, you said Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. You're betraying your own nation. Yeah, uh, I've got yeah. to, yeah, yeah. Disgraceful, scandalous. 
Um, but then again, you know, you you're, even in fantasy, you're focused on those fence gun these days. I think I don't know if you're maybe angling for my job here, Steve. I don't know. Uh, but um, I think the most exciting title race, I'm naturally going to say Sweden. So you've, you've let your side down there, to be honest. Uh, any Norwegian listeners here? Sorry about this betrayal. Um, but yeah, I think I think Sweden is going to be really exciting. Um, if you look at it, <clears throat> I can, you know, historically small club. Um, you know, we talk we'll talk in a minute, I guess, about their result. But I think you maybe should have asked me this after that we talked about all the results because if you don't know the results, then obviously you you're getting the spoilers. Um, but I've always been a spoiler. Three points. You know me. Yeah, you got to you got to you got to figure. You know, you deadline them, mate. You got to improve your deadline them here. Um, <laughs> Three points between the teams, obviously, hacking the top after their result at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say to Mr. Flying Dutchman, uh, I think Sweden. Yes. Um, we, let's go to this hacking game. It was, uh, I actually had half an eye on it, but uh, it looked like it was going to be heading towards a nil nil draw away against uh, Sirius, who are a bit of a problematic side, aren't they? They feel to me like the sort of team that no, you don't really want to have to face if you need points, but hacking have come up with a massive three points here. I mean, we were sort of saying maybe three or four weeks ago, they were starting to drop points uh, that they they might just fall out of this title race a bit. But they've really resurged well with some crucial late goals of late. And uh, this this might go, we might look back, you know, Jonathan, and, and this might make the biggest three points of the lot. Yeah, and um, this is a massive win. Absolutely huge win. 94th minute, Jeremy F, who's been on fire. He's the league top goal scored by miles and yeah what can you really say it looked like it was heading for a nil nil you know a bit of a maybe drab game in that sense it was sort of petering out you didn't think that anything was gonna happen and then up pops the mef uh, i think this is a huge win for hacken um you know you've got to bear in mind that their circumstances they have a good squad but they're not you know maybe they weren't title favorites by any means this season um, you know, they're not really expected to do much. The best ever result in Osvenskan is runner-up in 2012. Uh, the only other title they've ever won in, in in the top two divisions was in 2004 when they won the Super Etten. Never won an Osvenskan title in their history, uh, even as far as, as long as, you know, it's only in the last 10 years that they've actually um, won any uh, sort of major competition. Um, winning the Swedish Cup, Svenska Cup, and twice in 2016 and 2019. This is a story of a team that's um, not quite glimped, but very similar in terms of their trajectory, uh, in terms of like a small club with a bigger rival, um, historically maybe in terms of name, and they're managing to out, outweigh them and, and sort of uh, outpunch them. And, you know, their evolution over the past sort of 10, 10 years or so is, is carried on. Um, I think the work that Piermatis Hogmer has done is incredible, really. Uh, I think last season there was massive expectations, but they they kind of couldn't deal with it. But this season he's brought in the right players. They've they've got a much more solid spine now. Uh, players like Rygard, you know, Totland, um, other players like that have been really really good. Uh, and then of course up front they got the best striker in the league. You know, on current form, hit Yeremiev. So um, this could be a huge huge title. And I think they've got a lot more games to come. Eleven games to go. Maybe it could be on the negative note. Maybe a slight worry that they're sort of scrambling games at the moment. You know, if you look at the Mialbi game last week as well, it took, took them to the last sort of 10 minutes, 11 minutes to get a winner. Um, again, now last 94th minute, literally. So, um, you know, they're, they're hanging in there, but it's just going to be, you know, when you look at Hammerby, for example, you've got other teams. Can they just carry on digging away? But a massive, massive win for them. 
I think that they've won a, two games recently, 1-0, both against um, Mialbi um, and uh, Sirius. And I, I didn't think Hacken had these sort of wins in them, you know. I didn't think they had the ability to win matches ugly. And it's the sort of wins that sign of the champion in a way, isn't it? So this has kind of surprised me and fair play to them for, for digging these uh, results out. And they, they have this two-point lead at the top of the table. Uh, Hammerby are two behind them. Jorgarten, um three behind. And uh, Malmo are now as many as seven points adrift down in fifth. I core are, in fact, above... Malmo now and uh, a new era at uh, IE Core. Not such a, a good uh, result for them in Europe this week, but they did get a good win in the Alsvenskan. Tell us what's been going on at IEK in the last sort of uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, so of course they they, they crashed out of Europe um, and. They're not out yet. Well, they're nearly they're out. Not, <laughs> I mean, Barthes Greslak's out of Europe anyway, that's for sure. They they had such a bad result that they decided to part ways with their, their manager. Um, of course, yeah, you're right. They're not out of it, but uh, you know, let, let's face it. I mean, if they turn this one around, I'll be, I'll be stunned. I might even go vegan for a week, like you, you said in the past. Um, you know, but uh, I don't think they'll get back into it. They, they, you know, they had a poor result, and it just meant it was the end of uh, the reign for Bartos Greslak. He's been charged, for, I think, just coming up to two years. Uh, took over from Ricard Norling, and. You know, he's, he's done a decent job, I think, all things considered. I thought last season he did really well. I actually named him, I think, Osvenskan Coach of the Year for the way he turned them around from kind of, they looked like almost dead and buried in terms of where they were going. Remember at one point we talked about them maybe potentially being relegation candidates at some a certain stage. Um, he turned them around and got them fighting for the title last season. They nearly, nearly crossed the line, you know, came so close. Um, obviously, the season went to goal difference. Um, but yeah, they took a massive bash, battering against Slovakia uh, last week, and and it, just in general, there's been a lot of talk uh, that Bartosz Grzelak maybe, um, you know, the famous quote has lost the dressing room. I think that uh, that was a big worry. I think that you know, kind of, there's there was whispers that you know the fans weren't happy. Well, the fans weren't happy anyway. That's pretty public. But the the players weren't maybe happy with the manager, and it just maybe needed a bit of fresh air. I think that. The sports director, I think Henrik Eurelius, came out and said that, you know, we're going in a bad direction and we needed to make a decision. We're at a crossroads um, and they decided to go in, in a different direction. Bartos Grzelak obviously put out a statement, you know, he's an AIK man um, and he said that, you know, he's had a great time, but, you know, time's come to an end. Just they haven't really been doing terribly. If you look at their sort of last five games, they've won three, um, but they're not really doing amazingly well. They had a spell earlier in the season where they won five in a row and, just of late, you know, they lost at home to Mialbi, lost the way to Kalmar, stuttered a little bit in the league, in, in the in the league with you know against Elfsborg and Varnamo. Just unconvincing results. I think even when they're getting points, you know, we talked about obviously the Varnamo game where they were lucky to win that game. Really, uh, just two massive howlers um, defensively cost them. Uh, sorry, well help help them and cost Varnamo. So they've been stuttering along a little bit, and of course they announced that the uh, the legend, the man himself, Henrik Goitem, will come back to. Um, to AIK and he'll manage the I think he was already coaching in the youth teams but he's been promoted till the end of the season and will be their first team manager now he's had an instant impact because they've gone to North shopping and they were 3-0 up I think before half time so really kind of um, you know one of those sort of really fast starts uh, Henrik Goitem has said that you know in life you have to accept challenges he, he realises that he's not quite maybe <laughs> ready for such a massive role but he said what's life without challenges which is a, a great way of 
um, kind of looking at it and a great philosophy. You know, he's a legendary manager at AIK for different reasons. You know, he's won several titles with them in the past. And, um, you know, now we're who he came out and he's obviously they they they, they played up front together uh, very close. I'm, I, I think Goitam's got a very good relationship with the players. You know, he was a player until last year. Uh, I remember the send off they gave him last season. You know, it was real. Like they really respect him. Um, but who he came out and said he plays the kind of football we want to play. He knows what we want and it will be a perfect match. Uh, so I think that if you look at it, even those little whispers from the players, it just suggests that maybe they'd had a little bit of a, enough of Bartos Grislak's kind of maybe more conservative style. Uh, they played with a lot more freedom, like I say, in the North Shopping game, went 3-0 up. Um, then they had a red card, Vincent Till got sent off. But at the end of the day, um, the Goytemir is off and running. We don't know what will happen at the end of the season, but uh, he has the job at this moment in time. And good luck to him. Yeah, I have to say, of all the teams currently in the top five, they, they feel like the, the proper joker in the back, Jonathan, like the real wild card, because you just don't know really know what is going to happen with Icor this year. I mean, uh, what's your kind of prediction for them in the, in the league now? Because uh, they, they seem a difficult side to, to call. They've got a new manager capable of literally anything on the day. Could they Could they still win the title? I mean, what do you reckon? I think it's a bit like maybe, um, uh, you know, I think you mentioned maybe sort of glimpse situation. They're going to have to go on an incredible run, really. Uh, their next game, in fact, is against Hammerby. So that's a massive Stockholm derby coming this weekend. Uh, tune in for that. That's going to be a, that's going to be one of the games of the season, probably. Uh, it was 3-3 in the first, in the first game. Um, and, you know, with the new manager in charge and if they're playing a little bit lo- more loose, a bit more uh, attacking, then I think this could be a fantastic match. Hammerby already a team that go on the offensive. Um, in terms of Goitam, obviously, we don't know much about him as a coach because he hasn't really, he's not managed before. So uh, a couple of comments from, all we can do at the moment is draw comments from other people. Um, Nabil Bahui said about him, in the last two years we played together, he was more like, he was like a coach in his mind. He's a thinker and someone that I had many dialogues with as teammates. He's always thinking about football and he always has ideas and thoughts. Um, <clears throat> he probably had to package it down, but as it happens, when someone comes in from scratch, all he did was give us encouragement. He told us to be brave and we did it in the match. Um, they were asked him, does he, you know, can he succeed? And he said, he is a football thinker. Uh, he said many times on the bus on the way home from a match, he is already doing the analysis and talks about the analysis at games. He made me think about those bus trips and it obviously made me think that he could be a good manager, but we shouldn't really put pressure on him. It's only been one game, but he does say, we all know him from before. We know what kind of football he wants to play and his football will suit us perfectly. Uh, our pressing game, he said, was completely different to how it was before. So already you get an idea that maybe Goiton might be a bit more offensive minded, might be a little bit more front foot in terms of pressing. I thought that AIK as a team under Greslak, in certainly this season, they become a bit um, a bit lax, I think. They weren't really sort of hugely wildly energetic. I thought they were... And it was interesting that he left Seb Larson out of the team, um, obviously an old older player. Um, that I found quite noteworthy. Um, but yeah, I think they are going to probably press a little bit more now with more players. And I think they may be trying a little bit, a bit more, inten- play with a bit more intensity. So let's see if they can do that and, and they can adapt to that style because they do have you know, older players. I think one interesting one was... We talked a lot about Kim Pioca this season. He was out of the squad completely. Um, you know, I've said a few times this season he struggled, uh, came from Sunderland. And, uh, you know, I saw a tweet sort of saying he's just been launched straight out of the club as soon as Goitam comes in and uh, maybe Goitam wasn't a fan. 
Uh, we'll see how it all goes, but uh, clearly um, they can maybe look optimistically towards the end of the season. But the thing is that Hammerby game is huge. And if he if he loses, you know what football's like. People will start saying, well, he's not good enough. He can't hack it. Um, I don't think they'll win a league, but I think that this maybe was the right time uh, for a change because I just felt like I didn't really see where they were going and the European results didn't surprise me. Tom Bowdery asks uh, on Twitter, who of the Al-Svenskan title contenders has the most favourable run-in? Now, I'm sure you've been scouring the fixture list here, Jonathan. Um, it's, um, I mean, uh, there's still quite a lot of games left. That's the, the thing that I, I would mention. But I don't know if anyone's got a particularly soft run coming up soon, which might help them. Well, I think Uruguay have one of the toughest runs. Um, they've still got to play away to Hammerby. And don't forget their record in derbies. Uh, Stockholm derbies, Uruguay, it's not great. They've still got to go to Malmo um, and they've still got to play AIK as well. And that's another derby that, you know, we know we all know the ghost. So two Stockholm derbies left for Uruguay as well as European football. By the way, that's the first time in their history they've played in the group stage of a European competition, I believe. That's as well. amazing. Could be wrong, but I, I I had to look that. I had to double check that because they're, they're such a big club. I can't believe it. Um, but as far as I'm aware from articles I've read, apparently that's the case, uh, which is unbelievable. Um so I think they've got a tough running in those, definitely in those sort of gift fixtures. They've still got EF Court at home, but they're quite good at home this season. Uh, I actually think Hammerby um, have a you know tough run as well. I think they've got to still got to go to Malmo as well. They've they've got that derby, of course, against Eurogarden, and they've got to go to AIK this weekend. Uh, so they've got Elsborg away, which can be a tough game as well. So I think that um, Hammerby have a pretty tough run. But I think if you look at Hacken. Um, their run could be a little bit more favourable. Um, they've got Malmo, but it's at home. How can a decent at home in terms of the way they attack people? And Malmo haven't been amazing lately. I think it's easier to play them at home than away. Um, they've still got to play Hammerby, of course, but that's again at home. Uh, and they don't have, I believe, any other uh, rivals unless there's any um, rearrangements. The only tough game for them, October 19th, is, is AIK in terms of title contenders, AIK away. 19th of October, but second last game of the season, Steve. EF Core, Jotterborg, Hacken. Now, that could potentially be a title decider if we get to a certain point in Jotterborg Stadium. So they've got to travel across town and play their rivals. Now, that's after the Hacken, uh, the Malmo game as well. So that week, they've got they've got three weeks, basically, where they've got AIK away, Malmo at home, EF Core away. Now, if they can get to that point and they're still in this title race, that's a huge run of three games, really. And we'll, we'll know all about them by then. But, I mean, EF Coyotebo, they'd probably love nothing more than to end their title hopes. So um, I might even look at maybe, you know, if anyone wants to offer me accommodation, I might even look at going out there for that one. That's that's going to be huge. So, yeah, I mean, in, in summary, yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> don't, don't call it as you like it. I, don't, I think maybe Hacken have a slightly easier run, but... Long say. way to go. 11 games to go. I mean... You know, it's um, it's going to be interesting. Maybe maybe there'll be ten points clear by then. So, I don't see that happening in this title race. So, do you? Um, where do we need to go next? Uh, I suppose Hammerby have to be uh, mentioned here. A big win, five-one against uh, Degerfors. Not a surprising win, but it's more to do with the performance and the contributions of certain players in this game, which were, were eye-catching. Yeah, the Barisha shows up and running. Um, he got two goals. Uh, really. Had a good performance. I think in um, if this was a Premier League, it would only had one goal because I'm pretty sure the first one was offside. Um, I think VAR would have had a, had a word about that, but that's the thing with um, not having VAR, pros and cons. 
Um, but to be honest, it didn't really make much of a difference. I thought that in this game, um, they were quite comfortable uh, at the beginning of the match. They, they ran into a sort of early lead. But to be fair to, to Degafors, they showed, a, they showed a bit of character here, Degafors, I actually thought. Um, DA's was back in the starting lineup. Uh, who we wrote a Y Scout blog on, and he got off to the mark, got off the mark with a brilliant goal. Um, they then made it 2 0 Basara. But to be fair to Degafors, that first half, I thought they played well. They managed to get back into the match. Um, but in the second half, it kind of they just got away from them. I think fitness, I just think like energy, they weren't quite at it uh, as much. Um, but I felt a little bit sorry for Degafors in the way that I, I thought they deserved a little bit more from um, that first half, to be honest. Uh, and it wasn't like I know it's a five-one, but considering the gap between the two teams and the squad, I mean Hammerby's squad is like is stacked. They, they've got so many options. Um, they can rest players. They, they obviously Bubakar Chawali started this game. Um, you know Bojanic was taken off and he went mad at when he got taken off. He slat, he kicked the um, substitutes bench. You know he's been a regular midfielder for them. They brought on Pavel Vajic and David Concha, two new signings. You know Barisha up front, um, getting two goals. You know, him off the mark, I mean, his, his second goal was brilliant. The header, I mean, it's like just striker's instinct. That, that's that's fantastic. Couldn't he be a difference maker in this title race? Maybe he could because um, he looked very, very good in this match. Um, there's still maybe expectations Jays might leave before the end of the, you know, European transfer window. But they're so stacked this moment in time, Hammerby, that I think I think the second half changes just took the game away from from Degafors, really. They didn't have the squad to be able to, to sort of compete with that freshness of legs. Saidi came on, got his goal as well. Um, my conclusion on this match was Hammerby just have so many options that uh, if they get the balance right, they, they, they've they got, you know, they've got so many uh, difference makers that, that it could give them an advantage in the title race. Yeah, they've got a good manager and no European football as well, which is going to really help them out. And they always seem to have goals in them, which I think is, is a, is a big help. I know a lot of the teams up there have got goals in them, but uh, you're right. They're absolutely stacked in that final third of the field. Barisha, I think that was really the performance that made him, you know, sort of welcome to Hammerby, really. I think he had scored a goal before that one, hadn't he? But um, he looked, uh, I mean, he, he's going to dominate poor teams like that. And there are still some, several poor teams in Alsvenskan. And you've got to put away, you know, the bad the bad outfits, haven't you? And uh, there's an art to that. And he's definitely going to help them, not just in those games, but also a difference maker, maybe in a big fixture. So it is looking pretty good for Hammerby right now uh, after that win and uh, the other results from this round uh, were Ma- Mialbi won Malmo won again Mialbi uh, being a real thorn aren't they to uh, anyone uh, just an absolute awkward opposition Varnamo won Elfsborg won another half winner for you for those who watched the weekend preview show on Patreon uh, you predicted Varnamo would not lose that very good uh, for you there Kalmar won EFK Jotterborg nil and uh, Sundsvall won Helsingborg two in the big battle down at the the bottom of the table. I don't know if any of those results caught your eye. Yeah, I mean, I caught the Varnamo game. Uh, I thought I, I thought they were full, they were full value. Elfsborg did push towards this in the second half. And maybe could have nicked a winner in fairness to them, but um, I was happy with that result in terms of the weekend preview show. Mialbi um, Malmo, I caught the game. Uh, I, I tweeted it. I think. I don't know if there's something in Berman Savic's contract that he's not allowed to score from six yards, um, but I don't know how he's missed. I mean, this guy misses chances for fun. Um, he did get a goal, but uh, it was lucky as well because they went 1-0 down, Gustafsson, and then they came back fairly quickly. But um, 
I think Malmo are really starting to fade in the title race. Really, we haven't obviously talked about them in this, you know, in this episode on terms of the title battle. Uh, and they're now fifth. They're now sort of seven points off it. I think they need to buck up their ideas because I just think they are running out of time. They don't score enough goals. Twenty-seven goals compared to Hacken's forty-four. You know, Hammerby's forty. Eurogarden's forty. Um, and part of the reason is because they've got players like Berman Savic, who I can't believe the chance he missed um, a few weeks ago uh, when it was easier to, to miss than score. So we talked about XG in that episode. He had another one this, this week, six yards out, and he's put it way over the bar. I don't know how, again, he's done it. Um, and that just sums them up a little bit at the moment. You know, Buyatura is not quite firing. They're just, they're just a bit slow. Christensen did well. Uh, came on and got an assist, but they're falling a little bit behind. Um, and then, yeah, we have to, I think we had a comment from uh, Wasson, didn't we? Our good friend Wasson about Kalmar. So you actually watch this game, Steve. So you, I'm going to let you take it away on this one. Yes. Well, it's, it's funny you say there that uh, Mamo need to book up their ideas. I think we need to book up our ideas, don't we? Because the question from Wasson uh, was uh, basically, um, we hadn't really talked enough about Kalmar on the, on the podcast recently. So, Apologies, Watson. Thank you very much for your uh, question or interaction. And yes, it seems that they kind of have gone a little bit unnoticed recently. I suppose that's what can happen when you win a lot of games 1-0. But um, I did. I specifically made an effort to watch this game. I watched the full 90 minutes of Kalmar 1, EF Court 0. And um, it was actually quite a good game. I think it was, it was far better than a 1-0. And... Um, one thing I will say about the Kalmar tactical approach, because you actually did an article on Henrik uh, Ridstrom uh, for the Wisecat blog, I do believe. And uh, it was, they, they have a very much a, a high possession tactical approach. If he, if he wants to keep the ball whenever he can, it's, I think it was actually 50 50 for ball possession um, in this game. But first half, Kalmar did dominate. And uh, I thought he had a good tactical game plan to try and, um, press their defenders and midfield into basically punting the ball along. And Kalmar did not want to do that. The goalkeeper as well, Friedrich, came under a lot of pressure. So I think IFK had a good strategy there, but they didn't make the most of their opportunities in terms of when they won the ball. They were making the wrong decisions in that final third of the field. So EF Core let themselves down there. In the second half, Kalmar kind of took advantage a bit and uh, they played a bit more on the break. And I think it actually suited them. They, they put... Oliver Berg into a more advanced position. Berg in the first half for me was far too deep in midfield um, where he was still able to influence the game, but he's far better either as a striker or on one of the wings. And it was he who got, well, provided the only goal of the game, which was an own goal. If you back no goal scorer in this game, you would have won your bet because uh, the one nil goal was Johansson 59th minute. Um, bit unlucky a little bit, but I think really they were a lot better when Berg went into a more advanced position. Simon Scrab was playing as the striker, and I'm, I think he's a bit airy-fairy at times. Um, inconsistent performer. It was a good game. I enjoyed the game, actually. It was two teams that so they were trying to play football and uh, they deserved to be more goals in it. There you go, Mr. Wasson. Hopefully that is your Kalmar content for this week. Uh, if you do have questions, then obviously feel free to ask us, um, you know, in terms of how you think Kalmar are doing. It's difficult because they're not maybe challenging uh, for honours, but at the same time, they're just so they're just so generally good that they're not going to be in your, your relegation battle either. The sort of solidly mid table, seventh, you know, upper mid table, um, pushing maybe for a top five spot, but not probably not quite going to get. Berg top is four. an impressive player, isn't he? I must say, he he really does pull the strings of that team. 
Yeah, he does. And we had a comment as well from uh, his, at History Russia. He says, Hakan is starting to piss me off. 94th <laughs> minute winner. Solid for Badgett. But uh, before next week's show with Yanyet, which is the nickname of AIK. He's an AIK fan. Um, but yeah, no, thanks so much uh, to Wasson at Oscar Holt 1991. He, he is a massive Kamar fan. And we did, I did ask him on Twitter, does he think that Reestrom would go? Um, you know, maybe he might be linked with the Malmo job or the AIK job um, on a permanent basis, maybe next season. But he did answer saying that he thinks that, well, he said not a chance he will leave. He's a legend in Kamar with a contract till 2024. He's also got a daughter doing her last year of high school. Um, so I guess that is pretty affirmative um, and we shall see. But yeah, no, don't worry, uh, Mr. Watson. I'm sure we're going to have some exciting stuff for you in the weeks to come. I'm quite confident of that. Um, but that's it, I think, from this uh, section, isn't it? The only other thing I wanted to mention is um huge win for Helsingborg. I did say to you on the weekend preview show, I mean, you asked about over 2.5 goals in this game. I did say to you on the weekend preview show that I thought that if that if Sundsvall allow them space in behind and allow them to sort of have counter-attacks, they do have fast-paced players that can get in behind. Uh, unfortunately, for Gif Sundsvall, that's exactly what happened. And in fact, it was the player on my mind that I thought could do well in this game, and it was Benjamin Aqua, uh, who scored the first goal. Kabashi got the second goal. Uh, Damus came on, Ronaldo Damus, and got a consolation. Um, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, Euro over 2.5 was correct. And Helsingborg take a massive win. I think that um, for Gifsundsvall, it's looking very, very difficult now. Four points off the relegation playoffs and nine points off getting out of it entirely. So really the best they can probably look for at this moment in time is maybe just to get that relegation playoff. But um, for Helsingborg now, they can look maybe of catching Varnamo or Varberg. But uh, I think that's probably it for this week in terms of Sweden. Yeah, I did actually look at the XG for that game and it was really miserable reading for Gifsundsvall. 0.52 XG against 2.56. I think they're gone. Got to be honest, Jonathan. I think they're finished. They're not good enough defensively. And if they can't win a home match against Helsingborg, what chance have they got? So um, there was just one more thing, a question. Uh, it was from Sir Rare Norway. It's about the Royal League. Do we want the Royal League back? And um, it got us talking, actually, didn't it, before the podcast, that uh, we once had an episode, actually three years ago, where we uh, discussed about maybe bringing the Royal, the old Royal League back. For those who don't know, it was a tournament from Scandinavia involved the top teams from Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and um, you know maybe one day you might see the Royal League back in uh, maybe sort of like pre-season or something would would go well, wouldn't it, or along those lines? But uh, thanks for the question. So rare, Norway. Um, I, I'm always intrigued. I was gutted that um, you know Malmo and Buda Glimt didn't face off in the uh, Champions League qualifiers. I would have loved to have seen that because we don't uh, obviously see enough of the teams out there play against each other. But uh, we had Mulder against Elfsborg this year, at least. Yeah, and if you want that episode, it was July uh, 2019, I believe. Yes, 19. The title, yeah. The title is actually uh, Champions League, Europa League, and Royal League. So we might maybe try and put that episode, that that little discussion on um, on YouTube because it's an, something that we get questions about quite a lot. But uh, thanks so much, so rare Norway. I saw you followed us this week, maybe on that Rosenborg news. So um, I hope you'll be asking more questions in the weeks to come. Well, that's it for, for this section of the uh, podcast. Remember, you can follow the uh, the podcast uh, at Nordic uh, Footpod. You can follow myself at Meatman Soccer, and you. Uh, Jonathan at JF uh, Football. But coming up now, we got uh, an interview that Henry, our man in Denmark at Football in DK, has got with FC Copenhagen defender Kevin Dix. You can also find 
this uh, interview on uh, the YouTube channel. It's got its own separate uh, episode there. Uh, so for those who, who do like a bit of YouTube, then it might be actually more accessible there for you, uh, better, um, more convenient. But um, this is going to be, I've already had to listen to it already, obviously. It's a fantastic uh, to get a player from FC Copenhagen on the podcast. So uh, I'll personally say goodbye for me for this section. I'm sure you will too, Jonathan. But uh, as I say now, in part three, it will be the Kevin Dix interview. Welcome to the Nordic Football Podcast with me, Henry Nichols, at Football in DK, and I'm back with another exclusive interview. This is one I'm really excited about, and it's been in the works a little while, so I'm delighted to be joined today by a current Superliga champion, FC Copenhagen, fullback Kevin Dix. Kevin, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for giving up some time in your busy schedule to talk. Of course, no problem, man. <laughs> Kevin, you had a remarkable season at, at FC Copenhagen, uh, winning the the title actually in your first season at the club. How did yeah. it feel to play such a big role in a, a championship winning team? Um, yeah, of course it felt fantastic, but the league, uh, league goes with uh, ups and downs. It doesn't go perfect all the way, of course. Uh, winning the championship, it comes uh, yeah with some struggles and, and good games and some bad games and perfect games. And I think I had a wonderful start. Uh, in the season, uh, but eventually yeah, the, the 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 goals were that we we should have yeah get champion again in Denmark, and that's what we achieved last season. And it's quite a young team. Uh, I, th I think it's one of the one of the younger squads in the um, in the league. Do, how much do you sort of feel like a, a, a leader, even though you're you're only obviously in your <laughs> mid twenties? Yeah, I'm. I think I'm in the middle at the moment, but we have a lot of young guys. Uh, I think we have a lot of potential young. Yeah, big talents, uh, but I think we have the right balance at the moment. We have quite some uh, experienced guys uh, and, and, and and a lot of potential young guys, young talents. Fantastic. <clears throat> and obviously, prior to um, to joining Copenhagen, you spent a couple of years in, in Aarhus before. Yeah. Um, and I guess having played in Italy and the Netherlands as well, what was your first impression when you when you arrived in Denmark of the league in terms of, I guess, the quality and the speed compared to, to other places you've played? Uh, I think it's a li little bit different in 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 playing uh, in Holland or Italy or in Denmark. Uh, the difference between playing style, if I if I say it right, uh, the playing style is a bit different. Uh, it's I think in if you compare it to Holland, it's a little bit more physical here. Uh, you're a little bit more allowed in duels than in Holland, uh, and tactical wise in Holland it's different than in Denmark. Uh, I I I really was surprised when I come to AGF the first time that it was uh, yeah I, I came in a very good environment I remembered that I was struggling at that moment uh, with football with my injury everything in also in life apart from football was not going well for me so yeah, I, yeah AGF at that moment was a really good spot for me and from there on it's already quite fast we're uh, I think two and a half years further and now I'm in Copenhagen yeah absolutely and and like how important was that I guess experience of the league to to helping you make your mind up to to decide uh, to join Copenhagen. Uh, when I when I came to AGF, of course you think about future steps, but you don't think about too much because it's uh, you must take it day by day and game by game because football 
anything can happen any moment every day uh bad and good but yeah so when i when i started to go in the gf uh the first thing i needed to do was get fit because i was i had a big injury and uh the first thing i was doing there was getting two months of of uh still rehab training uh mm-hmm. with the physios over there uh so that was still struggling because i thought in my head like okay i'm gonna go to denmark and i'm gonna you know like be there straight away but that was not what happened so it was really hard for me in the beginning uh to get a hold of myself to get a hold of my like uh yeah the old kevin back how to play uh when to play and what to do so that was yeah it was a big of a change but i knew this was like a moment where i need to stand up because it's I don't have a lot of opportunities left at that moment. So, yeah. Fantastic. And I guess after two and a half years, you must be starting to feel a little bit Danish. Um, <laughs> is there, what, what, do you, what do you love most about the, the Danish culture or life in Denmark? Whew, that's a difficult question. I think it's, uh, it's similar to Holland, um, like really similar to Holland in, 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 in life, in like... Uh, uh, yeah, what do you think? Like every culture has uh, has differences, but I think they, Danish are a little bit similar to Holland. Um, people like mm-hmm. to go out. Uh, I like the city is very good organized. Uh, so yeah, the organization in Denmark, I, I like it. It's very well structured and it's really clear how everything works here. You can tell you're a defender liking structure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No, I like structure and, and, and uh, yeah. Fantastic. And um, I, I was lucky enough to, to travel over to Denmark a couple of weeks ago for the derby. I yeah. wondered, how does the, the Copenhagen derby compared to the derbies you've played, let's say, in, in the Netherlands? Uh, I had this question before. Um, it's quite big, actually, here. I didn't think it was uh, this big when I arrived because I play in EGF, of course, first. So mm-hmm. that was a derby, but not as big as uh, Copenhagen Brimby. So it's actually really really big but i have to still say that the dutch derby final at ajax is still like really big but the only thing is that i didn't experience that we that final and ajax played with the away fans they were not allowed and ah, still okay. not allowed because uh yeah because of the like the, the fights they had a couple of years ago mm-hmm. so that's a really big struggle for 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 holland i think it's better always to have away fans it's always a better experience even if it's the away fans you play against it's just a way better experience and for everybody. Uh, you have only losers if, if, if one of the team doesn't have fans. But if you play away or at home, it makes a big difference because it's such a big atmosphere. So they bring so much to the team and yeah, they give you this one or two percentage extra that can really help the team over the deadline, for example. Yeah, it must be amazing. Everywhere you go in the country, there's there's yeah. you know, the, the traveling support is full. In uh, Lingby this weekend, I yeah. thought you play home. and of of course you you mentioned the away fans um uh, not being able to go in in final that that's been the case in in denmark uh until the most recent derby i I think the previous two had no away fans yeah what was it like um uh i guess traveling to the away game in the coach for the first time did you get a sense of the atmosphere building on the way or or Uh, yeah um the first derby i i was in the first two i think we had fans uh but then something happened and then they said we don't have fans for the next two games, I think, or mm-hmm. three games, I don't remember. But it, yeah, it was really, you know what you could expect because they will, like if we go to Brumby, they knew, we knew that they were going to heat everything up and make it difficult for us. So, of course, it's 
a little bit more difficult to play, but also in the other, other sense, it's also, uh, it gives you a little bit this, like, uh, I want to, you know, we want to win against them because they have so much support and you can make them silence by playing uh, yeah. football and, and, and killing in the way, like killing uh, the game or winning the game. And that's, if you win away in a derby, that's a really amazing feeling. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, actually, for, you know, for a match as fiery as the derby is, how do you balance uh, the, the kind of intensity you need to play with for, to win a game like that with the, the kind of calm head you need to keep to be able to focus on, I don't know, the tactics and your individual instructions? Yeah, I think it's a balance you have to make that you really need to be concentrated. That's first of all, you need to be concentrated in everything you do and not lose your yeah, like concentration for a second. Um, because that will either cost a goal or either cost something or yellow card or whatever or, or like a big tackle. You need, you want to be there uh, in, in these kind of moments and to really, really be there and not like lack a little bit of concentration and mm -hmm. you don't get the 100% out of it and you need to get 100% out of every situation in, that, in those kind of, yeah, I, I think every game, but uh, especially when, when the other team also wants to try to haunt you or kill you or like really, really go for you, then yeah, you need to be concentrated and then be smart as well because sometimes people just want to get in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, and uh, also last season you played uh, a number of games at, at left back uh, yeah. due to injuries and stuff. How, how easy was it to, to adapt your well, game to playing on the other side? Uh, it's not the first time I've done it. So I've done it quite sometimes, uh, of course. I struggled with my form like and saying like one game it was like really good for playing out of position and really do amazing but then the other game to play another team that yeah adjusted a little bit of tactics or whatever then it's a little bit more difficult mm -hmm. so to be honest it's not the like how I play at right back of course it's different because I I know what to do and it's the same and it's on on the right position but I think I can still make a lot of steps if I have to play on the left um in, in terms of playing and be smarter and, and just accept the situation that I play on the left and I just need to get the best out of it and, and do my absolute best and, and then I can do also better. But that was a little bit of 50-50. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was really good, sometimes it was a little bit less. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sometimes it's difficult, but I think you have to accept your situation as it is and, and, and just go and, and be there for the team and, and help the team as, as best as, as I can or we can. Absolutely. And I think that versatility is a, a, a great asset to have. Yeah, yeah, I think it is very uh, good to have that you can have and play in different positions. It's not only that I can play left back, I think I can play mm. more positions, but I really prefer the right back. <laughs> yeah. And this might be a ridiculous question, but do you have a preference when it comes to um, playing against the, like when you're playing right back, do you have a preference playing against a, an inverted winger versus a traditional winger in terms of uh, what foot they play with? No, I think mo most of the wingers at the moment are like left wingers are right right footed. Uh, they mostly go like inside or yeah, try to dribble at you with the right foot. So I think that's at the moment the most what happens that I play against a winger who has a right foot. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't really matter. I just adjust a little bit how a guy is in the pitch and I will look into clips how he plays and then yeah, I know what I can do best or can like prepare myself for. Got it. Yeah, and is there a, is there a particular opponent you faced uh, in the Superliga who you remember being like really tough to play against or, or read? Um, I think uh, I think uh, Mo Adarami and Kamaldin. 
when I was mm. in the playing against Mo. One second, my dog is. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Mo. When I was in AGF to play against him, well, I think it was a nice battle. It wasn't like a bad blood between us. It yeah, was just, like nice uh, that we could show on the pitch and uh, uh, that who got the upper hand. And sometimes it was him, sometimes it was me. It, but it were really nice battles, and yeah, I know that he will never get rid of me in those duels. But same for Kamaldin. I think he was really, really good in, in one against one and dribbling and was really fast. So. Yeah, sometimes adjusting was a little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah, and he he's tearing it up in in France at the moment. So yeah, he, he hasn't skipped a beat. I think he was injured for a little while, mm. but uh, what I've seen from last season, yeah, he was doing amazing. Yeah, you you, you talked about that amazing start last season, and uh, Modarami was a big part of that. How how good is it to kind of have him back in in the squad for a, a full season together? It, yeah, it's always good to have a, like a quality injection like that uh, in the team. Um, Especially in these kind of big games we have at the moment, straight away, it's important that we have a big squad. And yeah, mm. Mo, I don't have to say anything about Mo, how, <laughs> how good he is. So yeah. uh, I think it's really good for us that Mo, yeah, joined us. And it seems like since you since you joined the league, you know, for a fullback, you do score quite a few goals, and also quite often with your head. Is yeah. this something you've always kind of had in your locker, or is it something that you, yeah, you kind I of worked actually. on? I did actually in, from youth already. <laughs> Uh, but in the beginning, like when I was in Vitesse, it didn't quite come out often. Uh, they left me like being for the rest defense because they didn't think I could head. But as I always said, like if you have somebody in mind, just keep me in in, in your head so that I can go forward and maybe score a goal. And I think in my one of my the my first two seasons, I only scored two goals, but they were both with my feet, so they weren't with the head. But uh, I think the most goals I ever scored was these two seasons with uh, AGF and Copenhagen yeah. that day. Yeah, it's like I believe in what I can do and, and in my qualities and then, yeah, if the delivery is right, then I should be there. Of course, I will miss, I have also missed a lot of headers, but last season and the season before with AGF, I scored a lot of goals. Yeah, and I guess people aren't looking for a right back to pop up in the area, so that's no. a <laughs> secret advantage. Yeah, it's uh, again what you say—a little bit of versatility you can have as a yeah. player that you can have extras. Uh, a little bit is also always nice. And uh, FC Co has quite an international squad. Do you do you always communicate in English, kind of on and off the pitch? Uh, and also, uh, how how's your Danish after three years? <laughs> I, the thing is, in Denmark, you don't have to speak Danish because yeah. everybody speaks so well English. So mm. I wasn't really like looking into learning Danish um, because it's yeah of course it's nice to speak Danish but we have such a what you say such a diversity in, in, in the nationalities in squads so I don't need to yeah learn Danish so <laughs> we're speaking yeah, I'm speaking <laughs> with some guys Italian or or English or, or whatever uh, yeah and I speak with boiler sometimes Dutch <laughs> okay oh nice <laughs> yeah yeah that's nice and in terms of like your life um, kind of off the pitch, are you able to live a relatively normal life in Copenhagen or do you get recognized all the time? Does that make it difficult? Well, I think I can. I think Danish people, they let they respect it. So if they recognize that they're not always like coming forward to you, they always also look at the situation. For an example, when I'm walking with my with my girlfriend and my daughter uh, with the stroller, then normally they let, let you alone. But sometimes they also come. It's just a mix. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But it's not. I can live a relatively normal life, and I'm not out often. I'm mostly at home to chill, to relax. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So you haven't had to wear a disguise yet. 
No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, for, for anyone listening to this who's not aware, there was an incident after the derby where some um, FC Co fans had their jerseys stolen on the on the train, and a Bromby fan actually, um, Rasmus uh, uh, Augustessen, helped raise money for um, from fans across Denmark for the victims. And I, I saw on Twitter that that you uh, also got involved in this by offering to kind of help replace the, the the jerseys. And I guess first I wanted to say it was a fantastic gesture of you. Uh, so, you know, big respect for that. And Thank se- you. <laughs> and se- secondly, it made me wonder about how you view social media. I mean, in this instance, it was obviously a force for good. You know, it brought all these fans together and the players together and helped yeah. sort of right a wrong. But has your experience of social media generally been positive or do you also experience oh. the negative parts like abuse after a loss or whatever? The thing is, social media—it's like very dangerous. Um, it can—it can be good, but it can also be like you—you you read faster that somebody says something bad. You know, it's not mm. like I read it, but somebody reads it or somebody says it to you or whatever. For example, after the Brimby game, uh, when I got a red card away, I knew these things were coming uh, because yeah, it was a very important game. We were close of being champion, and yeah, we we kind of lost. Yeah. Uh, two points there and and mm-hmm. i got a red card and it was stupid and yeah th- this kind of moments you know that it will happen of course i didn't win everything but some messages go too far and then yeah you you put them through to the club because it goes too far but i know what to expect i've experienced this in, in the past as well in Feyenoord that it can be really cruel from some people but it, the most thing the funny part for me is that if they do that they mostly write with unknown accounts and then they then they yeah like scared behind the, the the computer or laptop or whatever or the phone and they don't want to come forward and mm-hmm. say face to face to you. Of course, yeah, we're not stupid as football players. If we do something bad, we know it's not like we try to do something bad on on purpose. But of course, you also see the good things that sometimes you get recognition for what you do, and then they will yeah say it to you faster than tag tag you and tag you. Then they will do something. Yeah, uh, bad and then tag you. You know they will always say they will always send you a bad message or whatever. But the thing is with the t-shirts, I I, I didn't look into it. I was just on Twitter and I sometimes on Twitter you just see this uh, for you. You know like something that yeah uh, that yeah I look a lot at football so maybe that's why and Danish football so that's why maybe um, I, I I saw it I saw the video and I clicked on it and I, I was like oh that's not nice. So I just said yeah if he wants a t-shirt because I just saw one video and I just said yeah if the guy wants. Uh, a t-shirt. I will give him my uh, a t-shirt of of choice, and then I got a message of Erasmus, and then he told me that there's a lot of yeah. There was four or five guys. They went to the stadium against Anders. It was an awful game, and but they got some shirts. But uh, I also uh, uh, have some uh, t-shirts for them. I had to expri- uh, uh, arrange some autographs on it from the team. But oh, in, fantastic. The busy, in the busy schedule, it was a little bit difficult to get them straight away. Uh, because we have yeah, some rules about signing t-shirts day before the game or whatever, or day or on the game day. So now I have them, so I will contact them today actually uh, to say that I have the t-shirts with autographs and how they oh, want. Fantastic, yeah. man! It's a re- really kind gesture of you. And I, no, I, it's, yeah, it's a small gesture for me, but I think for the guys, it's uh, it's nice that they get in, can get in contact with players and mm. like this, get this interaction and be involved. Yeah, a little I, bit. Yeah, it's one of the special things about Danish football. I think that that um, that people are able to feel closer to the the players without it being too overwhelming. I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting what you were saying about the um, the bad messages kind of staying with you longer than the good ones. I, I yeah. uh, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I always have an Arsene Wenger quote somewhere <laughs> somewhere nearby. But he talks about how you know you go up in the um, 
uh, you go up on the stairs and you come down by the elevator. And I think that that's the, it's the same with social media, you know, yeah, it the, is, the, it is. the bad messages bring you down a lot faster than the good ones bring you up. So exactly. you, you've played in the Champions League group stage before with, with Feyenoord, but I mean, what would it mean to you if you were able to make it with, uh, with FC Co? Uh, the thing is that uh, with FC Co, I had a little bit more of an influence on it. Mm. Uh, it would mean a lot to me and mean a lot to the club and the fans and the, and the city and all Denmark, I think if we make it to the group stage. The thing is that with Feyenoord, they got champion before I came and then I played Champions League. But still, it means a lot because you play, play group stage against the best teams in the world. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, like a boy, yeah, childhood dream you have when you start playing football, that you want to be in this kind of level, uh, World Cup, uh, Champions League, this kind of games, you know. And it wouldn't mean, yeah, I don't have to say how much it means. I think it's, <laughs> it speaks for itself yeah. if you play Champions League, but... I think we have a big duty to do on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, yeah. It felt like last week everyone really rose to the occasion uh, and and yeah. sort of played at a, a very high level. Um, I, I guess are you looking forward to the return leg? It's going to be it's going to be a similar uh, huge atmosphere out there. It looks like. Yeah, I think uh, we have to prepare for the worst. Um, I think Turkish fans they are li- like really really passionate, and and from what I've heard uh, in Trabzon, it's really uh, tough to play. So. Yeah, let's see. We have to be prepared for for the for the worst and and be at our best again. And, and I think we can do a lot of things also in Trabzon. Absolutely, and I think you know in terms of the draw, I guess Trabzon Sport was probably one of the tougher teams you could get. So if you if you do make it through, I think it puts you in a, a great uh, position for the groups because you can sort of uh, you've already experienced a, a tough game before even yeah. arriving. Yeah, I think of course uh, it's a tough game. I think all of the teams, of course, there were some that. Also, we're tough, but I think this was for us the toughest draw we could get. Uh, but that again, I think we are also last season we showed that in Europe, but we are really strong um, and, and it's hard to play against us. Uh, yeah. Doesn't matter how we play, playing or um, being a little bit lower or defending or whatever, we are really strong. Uh, but yeah, I think in the next, if, if, and that's if, because we still have a big hurdle to take on, on Wednesday, then I think. Uh, the, the the opponents you get in Champions League there everybody is strong there so yeah, yeah absolutely and when you travel for European games do you uh, do you share with someone specific or do you do you get your own room uh we get our own rooms because, okay uh, yeah it's a little bit you know like for my own experience if you have somebody in the room that uh, yeah wants to sleep an hour later or half an hour later or is like more noisy or snores or whatever. The, the, this funny story that people <laughs> snore or talk in their sleep. Yeah, that's it's difficult for preparation for some guys, and I understand. Yeah, I've got I've got plenty of friends who uh, I've had that experience with, and I've learned never to share a hotel room with them before. Yeah, <laughs> no, I also talk when in my sleep, but that's only when I'm really really tired. Uh, but that mostly doesn't happen. I've never heard that somebody said to me, "You you talk in your sleep." Oh, actually, this summer, yes, but uh, I got sick uh, in training camp, so. Uh, Marios was sleeping in my room and he said uh, you were talking <laughs> I said yeah that's when I'm really tired but I got sick so yeah that makes sense got it
Um, and finally, I know earlier this year uh, you became a father. Uh, so yeah. c- congratulations to that. And Thank you. I guess I know from my own experience how how tough it can be to balance a working life with, you know, being a father of young kids. Yeah. And it must be especially hard for a footballer, given how important rest is in your kind of recovery process. Yeah. How, how do you balance the job of like being a dad with the job of being a professional footballer and all the things that come oh, with yeah, that? That's, it's difficult because, yeah, to be 100% fair, when you're like when you when you get a kid, you want to be there all the time mm. uh, because they grow so quick. I think, as you know, they grow so quick. Before you know, they get the age of four or five and, or even older and they don't want to be with you anymore. Now they still want to be with you, so that's still nice. But, yeah, of course, it's a little bit of a struggle. But also, on the other way, I, I have time after training to enjoy the, the times with my daughter and my wife or my girlfriend together um, to, to rest and to enjoy, yeah, to enjoy being a father. Uh, of course, it was a struggle at the beginning because you find you have to find your way or to find the rhythm or find the organization, how to work everything out. But yeah, my girlfriend has been amazing in, in that part, so I uh, I sleep good. It's <laughs> <laughs> good to, good to hear. Also, my daughter is amazing. She sleeps at night, so yeah. Oh, I'm very jealous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course, sometimes she she wakes up, but she doesn't need a lot. She sleeps quite good. That sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, lucky you. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> Kevin, you've got a huge game in Turkey to prepare for, so I won't keep you any longer. But thank you so much for taking the time no to talk problem. today. Um, no problem. It's a real honour to have you on the show. Uh, and I can say personally, it's been a huge pleasure watching you play. So I wish thank you all you. the best, not thank only you. for the game this week, but for the rest of the whole season. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe we see each other again in the future. Let's do it. Thank mm-hmm. you.